thank you for leading us in worship, brother, and thank you for those that serve alongside of you, and thank you for those that helped collect up our offering. We're going to be in Psalm 119 this morning, Psalm 119. Hopefully when you came in, you got a bulletin and you've got a copy of God's Word before you. On the back of that bulletin, there'll be some notes that we're going to work through together during our time together in the Word. So Psalm 119 is where we're going to be at um, this morning. I think it was eight or nine years ago, I don't remember the exact time frame, but Jaylene and I, my wife, we went out and bought us a, a camping trailer. We'd been wanting to do some camping. We had three small boys at the time, and we thought, we want to do some camping. And so we went out and found this camping trailer that fit our needs, something that we could afford. And so we had talked about, when we first got this camping trailer, where we wanted to take it to. And so down there where we're living, down south of the city of Ardmore in southern Oklahoma, there is a lake called Lake Murray. And, and there's quite a few camping spots around Lake Murray, but there's one particular place called Tips Point. And at Tips Point, it's just a long finger that you think of that just runs parallel to the, the shoreline, but there's several different camping spots down through there. And at the very end of Tips Point, it's kind of a turnaround. There's a boat ramp, there's a little picnic gazebo, and there's one spot that when you're camped there, it's like you've got 270 degree view of the water. We thought that would be just great. So we got this camping trailer, got the spot, and we're set up. We had a great afternoon, a great evening. We're set up where we wanted to be. We finally got a, a camping trailer, something we can do with the family. And I remember going to bed that night thinking, this is awesome. This is amazing. I feel very successful at this stage of life to be in this place. So night came, the boys got in bed, mom and I went to bed, and I went to sleep. In the middle of the night, Jaylene, Spence, Spence, wake up. Spence, wake up. What? Someone's outside and trying to get into the camper. And about that time, you could hear it. Boom, boom, bam. Now I'm awake. And I promise you, in the integrity of my heart, it sounded like somebody was outside of the camping trailer and was trying to get in through the door. Now, there's a reason why Jaylene woke me up. So now I have a responsibility. Now I usually have a protection device made by Smith & Wesson that is very suitable for this type of purpose. But if you think about a camping trailer, most of them have one way in and one way out. So I get, I get my uh, protection device with me and I'm sitting there at the door, the sound keeps happening and I'm thinking to myself, okay, Whoever's out there knows that I'm in here, and I don't know who or how many are out there. I don't know where they're at. I don't know exactly what they look like, but here I am inside here, and I know that this door goes out. When I step out, they have every advantage over me, but I got three boys and a mom in here that expect daddy to do something. So, ease open the door. I open the door. I look out of the door. Nobody. Nothing. Well, now I have to step out of the camper and I get out of the camper and I'm like, okay, who wants some? Who, let's just go ahead and get this over with. Nobody. I walk down to the end of the camper. Nobody. I walk around the other side of the camper. No cars, no people, no sounds. Nobody. 
So I make all my way around, do my 360 perimeter walk, and now I am back in front of the door of the camper, scanning on the horizon, scanning on about 30, 40 feet in front of us where they'd stop mowing and you had the tall grass before the shoreline of the lake. And I'm sitting there in front of the camper thinking to myself, what now? You ever been in those moments where you needed some protection? You ever been in those moments where you felt threatened? You ever been in those moments that you were wondering, what's next? We'll come back to the camper story in a few moments. We've been walking through as a church some core values. Several months ago, we adopted three core values to help govern the direction and the ministry of the church. First core value is that we are going to build families. The second core value is that we're going to teach the Bible. The third core value is that we want to strive to be the church. So when we were looking at build the family several weeks ago, we talked about God's design, we talked about God's standards, and we talked about God's plan for the home. Then as we've been looking at what it means to teach the Bible, we started off by understanding that the reason why the Bible matters is because in it we see God's authority over his creation, over our lives, and over everything around us. So it is through the word of God that we see God's authority revealed to us. In the last couple of weeks, we are talking about God's direction because God only has God revealed himself to us, but God has said, this is the direction I have for your life. And it is important that we come to God's word because it is through God's word that we get God's direction for how we should and shall live. Well, here in Psalm 119, we're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to work through this really just verse by verse, line by line, and we're going to start in verse 17 and work down through verse 24. And what I hope that you'll see with me as we walk through this is the psalm writer, and I think it's a he, a young he, as he is writing this about God and about God's word, he's going to identify some ways that God's word protects him. See, I don't know how many times you think about it in the sense that God has given us his word as a means of protection, as a means of guarding against the heresies, as a means of guarding against the false teachers, as a means of guarding against the effects of sin and the the distractions and the temptations of sin, as a means of letting you and I know what God, who God is and what God expects and how God created us and why God uh, has placed us here. It's a means of protection as we're living this life, what it looks like to faithfully serve God. So he's given us these means of protection through his word. So the writer here in the the psalm is identifying there's some ways that God's word protects us. So I want you to do with me, we're going to start in verse 17. We're going to work down through verse 24. I realize that some of your copies of God's word may have a word or two differently from the copy that I'm reading out of. But as we look through this, we'll see some of these protections that the psalm writer gives us. The first protection I want you to see with me, and you'll see this there in your notes, the first protection that he gives us out of God's word is protection from ourselves. Protection from ourselves. Where do I get that from, Spence? Well, let's start in verse 17. If you'll read along as I read aloud, just see what the word of God says. The psalm writer writes, he says, Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all 
times. You were to go back up there and you were to circle the pronouns that you will see there in just these four verses. You will see the psalm writer identifying himself as I, I, me, me. And then he identifies the word of God. He is putting himself in a position under the authority of God, but he's also recognizing what God's word does for him. You look back up there at verse 17 and he says, deal bountifully, which is mean, be generous, be kind, be merciful, be graceful, be graceful with me that I may live what? And keep your word. You mean, is there a way that we can live and not keep God's word? Yes. You mean that I can have life apart from the truthfulness of God's word being prevailing in my life? Absolutely. But what is the psalm writer getting to? He is reminding us that this life matters. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people around us in our society that think that this life is all about them. This life is all about the moment. This life is all about happiness. This life is all about what they can get. This life is all about pleasure. And they don't understand that according to God's word, this life matters because it is a gift from God. So he says this word of God, it acts of protection. It protects you against your own sinfulness, against your own arrogance, against your own self-sufficiency, thinking that you have it all figured out. He talks about in verse 18, he says, open my eyes that I may behold. He's pointing out to us, to you and to me that apart from God's word, we are ignorant. Now, some people don't like that word. Some people think that's a bit of a derogatory word, but it's not a derogatory word. It's just been misused. See, there's other words like dumb and other things that you may hear them yell out on the, the elementary school playground. But when you talk about the word ignorant, it just means that you do not have all of the facts. Every single one of us in this room are ignorant in one level or the other. Every single one of us may know information that another person doesn't know. Every single one of us can always learn more about the word of God. So he says, when it comes to the word of God, it's a means of protection. It reminds you about what matters in life. It reminds you, as he says in verse 18, he says, open my eyes, show me the things that I'm ignorant of because I know that my knowledge and my wisdom and my understanding is limited. Not just that, he says there in verse 19, I'm a sojourner. What does it mean to be a sojourner? It means that this isn't your home. You're passing through. You're a temporary resident. And yes, how many times do we look at this life as being all there is? In my early 20s, I spent a little time working for Paul Whitna, who is the mayor here in Wilson. I was working for him, and we were building some electrical substations and some transmission lines in Missouri. And in my early 20s, I'd find myself in motel room after motel room. And if you spend very much time traveling or on the road, you will know you get into these motel rooms. It doesn't matter what the color of the paint is. It doesn't matter about the arrangement of the furniture. You don't care about what the pictures look like up on the wall because you're just here for a small amount of time. You're just here for the moment. This is the idea the psalm writer is giving them. He says, protect me from myself because I will start to think that life is about a lot of other things. I will start to think that I know all there is about life and I will start to forget that I am just a temporary resident on this earth. I know that this life is not all there is. I am living for a life that is yet to come. 
So the psalm writer is saying, God, you, your word is a means of protection. It reminds me what matters. It shows me your wisdom. It reminds me about what my priorities should be. And then he says in verse 20, my soul is consumed. He makes the connection that apart from your physical body, every person has a spiritual soul. Person. Your dog doesn't have a soul. Your cat for sure doesn't have a soul. For sure does not have a soul. Wild cats do not have a soul, right, Charles? Wild cats don't have a soul. There's this one of those things that he reminds us that you have a soul. And what the Bible tells us in places like you may write down, Matthew chapter 25 and, and verse 46, that your soul is going to live in eternity. Your soul is eternal. So that means the condition of your soul is eternal. So that's why he says in verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. He said it's not just a matter of an intellectual thing. It's not just a matter of a popularity thing. God, your word is a protection to me because apart from you and apart from your conviction and apart from your spirit, God, I will make a wreck out of myself. Think about Romans chapter 7. Paul is writing there in Romans chapter 7. He says something to the extent of the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. How much of a wretched man I am. He's trying to make this point that there's things that even Paul knows. Hey, I wish I could do that and I wish I wouldn't do that. But because of his flesh, but because of his sinfulness, he's always doing the things that he shouldn't do and not doing the things that he wants to do. And that's where we come back to God's word to understand that God's word shows us our need for God. It protects us from ourselves. Well, Spencer, are you saying I'm a bad person? No, I'm not saying you're a bad person. The Bible says you're a sinner. That's much worse than being a bad person. Well, Spencer, you mean that I'm not good enough? No, and I'm not saying that. I'm saying the Bible says that you're not good enough. Well, Spence, you're saying that I don't have enough intelligence. No, I'm not saying that you don't have enough intelligence. I'm trying to say that no one has intelligence on the same level as God. What I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is sometimes the things that most get us in trouble is what we see in the mirror. And he says there's a protection. There's a protection from yourself. But then he goes on in verse 21, and he talks about the protection from the wrath of God. Protection from the wrath of God. Some people will say, oh, you need to do more hellfire and brimstone preaching. Oh, you need to get up there and you just need to have that sawdust and you just need to pitch your fit and you just need to get slobbered and you just need to get to yell and you need to get to doing all that stuff. And I'm not saying that is not good and doesn't have its place. But the wrath of God is real. The judgment of God is real. The time that we're going to stand before God is real. So notice he says in verse 21, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt for I have kept your testimony. He says the word of God is not just protection from ourselves, but the word of God is protection from God's 
wrath. What do you mean from God's wrath, Spence? Well, what does he say? He says right up there in verse 21 that there are the rebuked, there's the insolent, there's the cursed ones. Why? Because they wander from God's commandment. Here is the reality. When you disobey God, when you abandon the word of God, and when you deny the authority of God, that is what the Bible says means to be lost, dying, and headed to hell. But that's not where the story has to end. Because the Bible tells us that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. John tells us that truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes whom he sent me has eternal life. The story of the gospel is that God loved us so much he sent Jesus Christ to live a life that we could not live, to die a death that we deserve to die, to be buried in the tomb, raised on the third day so that we might have forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ in God. It means that we have this opportunity to not be under the wrath of God because Christ paid that penalty for us. But there's a number of people in this world today, maybe even somebody in this room that says, you know what, I don't need Christ, I can do it on my own. I can earn my way to heaven. I can get my way to heaven. I think that I'm going to be good enough. I was listening to a preacher just this last week, and he quoted Michael Bloomberg several months ago when during their uh, interview, Michael Bloomberg said when he gets to heaven, he's going to go straight up to God and say, I've done enough. I should get in. That's not the way it works. So what the psalm writer is reminding us here in verse 21 and verse 22, he's reminding them that there is such a thing as God's wrath. So how do you protect yourselves from God's wrath? You submit to God's word. And how does that protection come? Notice he says, you rebuke the insolent and accursed one. Here it means that God rebukes and he curses those that aren't his, those that deny him, those that turn away from him. This word of God says God has a position of authority because he is a creator and because he's God and because you are not God and you are created. Therefore, you have a responsibility of submission to him. So when you come to God's word, you read God's word, you understand God's word and you apply God's word God's word has a way of changing you, correcting you, sometimes even chastising you and disciplining you. That's the protection of God's word. That's why he says in verse 22, take away from me scorn and contempt. He's talking about chastisement. He's talking about discipline. He's talking about criticism. He's talking about the things that you and I don't like to hear. We do not want someone looking at us saying that we're not the most awesome person someone else knows. We don't like that. We don't feel comfortable with that. In fact, sometimes when we get into seasons of life and we feel like we're under conviction, we get mad at God. We don't like accountability. We don't like somebody pointing out our faults. Or sometimes we get in that moment that we enter a season of life that is painful. It's a struggle. And automatically we assume that it's someone else's fault. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 and 8 reminds us that God disciplines those who are his. The same way that a parent disciplines a child, not because it's popular to the child, but because it's helpful for the child's future, God brings about discipline. Sometimes pain in life has a purpose. There have been examples that I can think back personally where I was not where God wanted me to be, and I was not doing what God wanted me to do, and God has a way of coming in there and going, hey, knucklehead, stop doing that. No, and then he'll come, come back a little bit longer. Hey, knucklehead, 
Stop doing that. And finally, you get tired of God coming in with that level of conviction. And you're like, all right, uncle, I give up. You see, the word of God it means to be a protection. It protects us against the wrath of God. How do you save yourself? How do you guard yourself? How do you protect yourself from the wrath of God? You do what God says to do. I don't know how many of you parents in this room still use the biblical form of punishing children. But you know, it's such an insight, especially when I look at my young children. And I look at them and I tell them, you have the opportunity to never ever receive a spanking. Now, all five of the ones that we have currently on the ground have all been a recipient of the biblical form of discipline to this point. But when you look at them and you say, you know what, you do not have to receive a spanking. They look at you like, no, you do it as a sport. You do it as a hobby. You do it to show off in front of your friends. No, I'm telling you, there is an opportunity for a person never to receive a spanking. How do I do that? You don't disobey. I've never given a spanking for going to bed on time. Never given a spanking for taking a correct shower. I'm never given a spanking for saying yes, ma'am, or yes, sir. I have never given a spanking for a child doing the right thing. And you know, some of you young people, you get into school and you get into life and you think you got these adults and you think that you got these teachers and you think that you have these people that are over you and all they want to do is make your life miserable. All they want to do is just see how much pain and suffering they can put you through. That is a lie. Actually, if you'll just do what you're told, when you're told, how you're told, your life will be a lot easier. And us adults look at you children and go, why can't you get that? And you children are probably looking at us adults saying, we'll get it when you get it. So I wonder how many times God is looking at us and saying, listen, I've given you my word. I told you what I want you to do. Why don't you do it? Because just the way, whether it's a four-year-old in our home, or it's a 40-year-old standing before you, I think I know better than God. So he says, this word of God, it's not only meant to be a protection against yourself, it's also meant to be a protection against God's wrath. But then he goes on in verse 23, and he states this idea that the third way that it is a means of protection is it protects us from the enemy. It's protection from the enemy. If you look there in verse 23, he says, even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Now, if you have a study Bible or if you go back and, and you do a little better word search there on the word princes, you're going to find some different definitions. You're going to find some different ways that it's used. So what is he talking about that? Is he talking about governmental rulers, municipality rulers? Most likely. Is he talking about those in a position of authority, those that have some kind of domineering position over them? Most likely. Could he be talking about the prince of this world, Satan? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, he talks about following the prince of the power of the air. Paul is saying that sometimes people have referred to Satan as being uh, somebody that is maybe controlling this world, leading this world astray. Possibly, possibly, possibly. So when you get to verse 23, he says, even though, even though people in a higher standing or in a greater position than me, even, these, even though these people are plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. I think in today's time, we should take it as a given 
that lostness is not going to find us popular. In fact, you'll find such, if you were to turn to John chapter 3 and verse 19 through 20, you'll get this very clear from Jesus. Jesus says, the darkness hates the light and does not come to the light lest their works should be exposed. And yet we're living in a day and age that we want to be popular. We want people to like us. We want to be somebody that the world holds in high esteem. We have to make a decision. Are we going to be faithful in the eyes of God or are we going to be popular in the minds of man? Now you say, well, we got to still reach the world and we still got to have an ear of the world. Absolutely, absolutely. But the question is, is do we understand that there is a enemy? See, we're lulled into this false sense of security that everything's great. Everything's hunky-dory. We don't have anybody coming against us. We don't have any kind of spiritual battles. We don't have any kind of physical battles. And yet, all through the Word of God, it reminds us that Satan is not protecting the way things are going, but he is seeking to devour. That's what he talks about in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. He talks about this idea that Satan is roaming around like a lion seeking someone to devour. Do you understand? Do you understand that we have an enemy? That we have a real present enemy? And why is God's word protection against the enemy? It's protection against the enemy because it identifies who the enemy is. The enemy is not style of music in church. The enemy is not the color of the carpet. The enemy is not what number the thermostat is set on. The enemy is not your particular preference of preaching or translations of the Bible. The greatest enemy that we have today as a church is that we are in a spiritual battle against Satan and the demonic forces. Now, we can say, oh, well, that's an enemy. That's a battle. That's a problem. That's something we have to address. And we can skip right past the fact that Satan is seeking to deceive us. He is seeking to distract us. And he is seeking to divide us. And yet so many times we go through this life and we go, well, let's argue about what time we're going to start church. Let's argue about how somebody dresses. Let's argue about where we're going to park. Let's argue about all of this silly stuff while Satan is getting free reign in our lives and in our homes and in the screens and in our children and in all aspects of life. And we don't worry about that because we don't see that as being an enemy. What does the Bible say? He says, even though princes sit plotting in vain or plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statues. I think it is so cool there that the psalm writer says, yes, the enemy is coming on the, the enemy is seeking to attack me. But instead of building defenses, instead of getting all worried about it, instead of running around going, oh, the enemy, oh, the enemy's coming. And all of these things, what does it says he does? He says he sits and meditates on your statues. Why? Because he understands that he is no match for the enemy. but his God is. Why do you think Jesus, when he's tempted in Matthew chapter four, Satan comes and he's tempting Jesus. And when Jesus responds to Satan, we looked at this last Wednesday night up there. 
How does he respond? He responds by quoting Deuteronomy three different times. He responds with God's word. When the early disciples in the early books of the pages of the Acts of the Apostles, when they are brought before the Sanhedrin and they are brought before the religious leader, they're like, why are you talking? Stop talking. They pretty much look at him and says, we're going to follow God's word above anything else. Because they knew anything contradicting the word of God was the enemy. So he says, Verse 23, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Yes, there is an enemy. Yes, it is coming against us. But the greatest defense that we have for the spiritual enemies and the battles that are around us is our time in the word of God. But then there's a fourth one. Protection from ourselves, protection from God's wrath, protection from the enemy, and then protection from this world. Verse 24, he continues your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. You may say, well, that's a pretty simple verse. Just two lines there. It's just a pretty simple thing. Notice he talks about in verse 24, your testimonies, and he uses the word are my delight. He, he's going to say that, you know what? There's a lot of things in this world that you might find delightful, but when was the last time you looked and said, you know what? I love God's word. It is such a delight to me. Oh, I treasure God's word. It is such a delight to me. We got done with the sports game yesterday morning, and the first thing we did when we got in the Suburban, Ezra, the four-year-old in the back seat, back seat, said, Daddy, can we go to Brahms? Daddy, can we go to Brahms? Daddy, can we get ice cream? Ice cream, ice cream, ice cream. He didn't care about whether he was safe in the Suburban. He didn't care if Daddy knew how to get home. He didn't care if Daddy even had money to buy ice cream. He didn't care what was going to go on the rest of the day. He didn't care about what happened during the game. He didn't care if everybody was healthy and sound. All he cared about was ice cream because he finds great delight in ice cream. What would it be like if us adults woke up in the morning and said, God's word, God's word, God's word. Can I read God's word? Can I get to God's word? Can I spend time in God's word? Can I make sure that everything else comes after God's word? All that Ezra cared about was ice cream. And he didn't walk into Brahms and said, I want the five gallon bucket, please. He didn't walk into Brahms and say, well, I don't understand what all the flavors are, so I guess I'm just not going to eat any ice cream at all. He walked in, got as much as his little tummy could eat, and was content. I'm not saying that you've got to spend six hours a day in God's Word. I'm not saying that you've got to dive through the original language. I'm not saying that you have to just dig Leviticus. But brothers and sisters, there's some stuff in God's word that you and I can look at and we can say, you know what? This is my delight. Some of you don't delight in the word of God because you don't know God's word and because you're not spending time in God's word. So he says, your testimonies are my delight. And yet, why would this, how would this be a protection against the world? Well, so many times the world is presenting to us desires when they're really just deceitful desires. You go down to the state fair. We were down there just this last Friday and you go in there and, and, and you walk into one of the buildings and there's all these brand new vehicles. I don't know, some of you, I know like Mr. Ronald who's independently wealthy has probably already done this before, but I, I've never bought a brand new vehicle. In fact, I've driven a brand new vehicle, but I've never owned a brand new vehicle. It didn't, it didn't belong to me. And so you walk in there and you're just like, who walks in here looking at brand new vehicles? Who does this kind of thing? And so I'm sitting back and I'm watching and people after people after people and I'm like, 
Man, that must be so nice. I need, I need a different vehicle. Let me just stroll into here and I'm just gonna look at the brand new one and say, that's the one I want. I don't know. But you walk in there and they say, well, you need this. You deserve this. You can afford this. This will make everything better. Oh, life will be easier. You'll be so cool. We'll get you a low payment. Oh, all of these things to come in and deceitfully present desires to us to say, you should have this. And that is what the world is doing. I said several weeks ago about, it's not that, uh, how do I say this tactfully? There's a saying out there that a certain trade is the oldest profession in the world. I said, no, it's not. It's actually marketing. Because you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, Satan is marketing sin to Adam and Eve. Marketing is actually the oldest profession in the world. Where do you get that from? Well, right here in verse 24, he says, your testimonies are my delight. Not the things that the world says are delightful, not the things that the world says are desirable. These things are my delight. And he says again in verse 24, they are my counselors. So the writer here of the Psalms is not only reminding us that we have this world outside of us that is presenting deceitful desires, but also the reality is, is that we are surrounded by corrupted counselors. By corrupted counselors. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, here's how this, here's how I would present this to you that it's working right now. You have a large swath of the population of the people that want to deny the authority of God over their lives. So they just simply say, God, you're not in charge. We're not submissive to you. We're going to come out and find all of our own scientific answers and explanations to how we got to where we're at and how things work the way we work. And God, you can go over there. We don't have anything to do with you. And God, we're going to do it our own way. The problem is, according to Romans chapter 1, we're all going to have guilt because of our sin. So then the question comes, what do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my sin? How do I deal with the sin that's in my life? And so if you've already denied God, you've already denied the authority of God, then you come back in and say, well, then what do I do with my sin? Well, you know what I'm going to do with my sin? I'm going to ignore my sin, and I'm going to redefine my sin, and I'm going to explain my sin through something that is not my fault and something I'm not responsible for. And it is prevalent in our society where you have people giving advice and counsel, whether it is emotional or mental health, that is denying the authority of God. They are redefining what is sin and they're trying to explain the effects of sin in a person's mind and soul and body with some other diagnosis or illness or condition apart from the word of God. And you get corrupted counselors. So he says, not only do I need protection against myself, I need protection from God's wrath. I need protection from the enemy. I need protection from this world. Where does that come from? It comes from God's word. So why do we need to teach the Bible? We need to teach the Bible because this is how people are protected. I'm standing in front of the camper. It's dark. Three boys are asleep. Mama's inside, bated breath. I know she was just praying hard that I would survive. And I'm looking around. Don't see anybody. Don't hear anybody. Something, someone 
was making the sound. It wasn't an imagination. It was coming outside the door. I'm not going to be arrested unless I find what this is. So I'm sitting out there, waiting. Are they going to, I going to see some eyes coming through the, gra- the grass? Am I going to see an inflatable speedboat speeding by as they take off? And I'm sitting there, just a few feet in front of the door, and I'm scanning the horizon. Wham! Thump! Thump! And I about urinated myself. <laughs> ah, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. I'm just telling you. Because it, I could hear it right above me. And I thought, what in the world? The wind was coming off the lake. And the way we were parked, the wind was coming off. It was catching up the shoreline. It was coming and hitting the side of the camping trailer. And as soon as it hit the side of the camping trailer, the wind was being forced up. But because I am a rookie, I did not know to roll up the awning before going to sleep. The awning is pretty much just like a big rectangular shade that sits on the side of the camper that folds out. So I hadn't realized that you're supposed to put up the awning. So the wind is coming off the lake, the hitting the camper, going up, hitting the awning, and it is popping the fabric of the awning. And sometimes there would be such a gust of wind that it would hit it hard enough that it would actually send vibrations or, and send movement through the camper. And that is where you would get the different sounds that were happening. The camper was lucky I didn't shoot its awning. (laughs) So what do I do? I get my little handy dandy tool out. I roll up the awning and I go get back in bed. Problem solved. But you know, as you think about that, it wasn't necessarily that the wind was a danger, but there's always things that are happening around us that we can't see. And there's always things that we do not know if it's a danger, if it's not a danger. We, we don't understand what we're up against all the time. So let me try to put a bow on this by just th- asking the question, well, why does it matter that we as a church teach the Bible? Why does it matter so much that we embrace this as teaching the Bible, as being instrumental in people's lives? Number one, I want you to understand that we don't always see the danger. We don't always see the danger. I step out of the camping trailer. I look around. I don't see anything. It's not that the wind was a danger. The wind was a danger of me getting any sleep. The wind was a danger in the way that it was going to keep me from having any kind of rest. But many times in this world, we do not see the danger. We may look around this room and we may assume that everybody is sweet. Everybody is gentle. Everybody is domesticated and docile. there's a number of spiritual battles that are happening in this room. There's a number of people that are sitting in this room this morning that are struggling with spiritual decisions. There's a number of people in this room this morning that when you walked in, it was against the will of Satan. And there's a number of battles that are happening here and When we walk outside of here, we are walking into a whole different minefield or battlefield and we do not see the danger. That's why we need to. That's why we must to. That's why we have to encourage and teach God's word because we do not always see the danger. And number two, 
we fail to see our need for protection. We fail to see our need for protection. We just assume because we can do church with or without the presence of the Holy Spirit, because we can do church with or without the favor and the unction of God, we think because we can do church with or without the blessings of God, we don't need the protection of God. And we fail to see our need for protection. Spence McConnell is no match for Satan. It's not one of those things, you're not going back to the 70s of the exorcism moving, the priest goes in and is going to cast out the demon. Spence has no power. You have no power against Satan. I need protection. I need protection through God's word. But then this last one, why do we teach God's word? Because for too many in the church today, we do not know God's word. We do not know God's word word, which is why it is so pivotal, which is why it is so essential that we as a church teach God's word. Because not only does it have the authority of God, not only does it have the direction of God, but it carries the protection of God. And so we teach God's word so that people know God's word so that when the times come, the battles come, the difficulties come, the questions come, the temptations come, the distractions come, they're able to go back to God's word and practice truth. But then that leaves us for where we're at this morning. And I wonder what's protecting you. What's protecting you today? A job? A bank account? A possession? A relationship? Knowing that another 10 minutes you get to walk out of here and not have to ask, answer these questions for another week? What's protecting you? And when the moment of trial and temptation comes, what's going to protect you? When the difficulties come, what's going to protect you? The psalm writer here in Psalm 119, 17 through 24 finds his protection in the word of God. When was the last time you found your protection in the word of God? Would you bow your heads with me?